This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Double Tap for the weekend. I've got Mark Afalalalalo, and we're going to be talking about lots of things, including a rather interesting interview that Mark has done about Microsoft. Yes, Mark on Microsoft. Do you get the impression? I don't know what the interview's about. Oh, come on. You're listening to Double Tap, the weekend edition, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Mark Aflalo. Yeah, I'm always blaming Sean Priest for not reading the notes, but you know, I, okay, I admit it, I didn't read the notes. I've been too busy online shopping again. Sorry. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, we're recording the show this week, and I swear to you, the, the door must have been, the, the doorbell must have gone about five times in the course of one show. And on one occasion, you know, the guy comes to, I don't know if you have this in Canada, but they, they send you an email with a passcode that you have to give the driver. Never you, had this in Canada, a, but I've heard about it. Yeah, I've absolutely will, will heard about it. this, yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I, of course, I go to the door, and he hands me the parcel, and I'm like, okay, obviously, didn't need the passcode, so that's great. And then he's banging on the door again, and he comes back and he says, I need the passcode. But at this point, I'm hanging out the window going, it's 2214. The whole street knows the passcode. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just This crazy. is like taking two-factor authentication to an analog level. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it, just it, it would be only, only that much better if your neighbor was the one who yelled out his window saying, Stephen, the package is coming. The password's 4445. <laughs> <laughs> That's not actually dissimilar to what happens sometimes. My neighbors are, are a bit like that. They'll just, or my favorite is what they do because we have this thing where we have these boxes outside our homes. Well, they're big storage, garden storage boxes. And I had one in the, gar- the garden for years. And then when we got the garden sort of redone and we got it all fixed, we moved the box out and I put it outside the house at the side. And I thought, this is going to be a great like package box. This is where all my packages can go. And um, no one ever uses it. Oh, no, they, they do. But what oh, I've realised is that the guys have got used to, so they've actually got so used to using it, they don't even bother knocking the door anymore. They just throw it straight into the, the storage box. But if the storage box is full, they just start using other people's storage boxes. So I have oh neighbours coming to me saying, I think this is for you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think this is for you as well. And, of course, the problem is, because we can't read right off the bat, you know, if I get my phone out and I get, you know, seeing AI up or something, I can read yeah. who it's for. The problem is you don't do that. You just start opening up the packages because you think it's for you. And you're like, I didn't of order course. little, you know, Barbie dresses. What's going on here? You know, it gets even, it gets even worse over here. They don't ring the doorbell, but they don't have a box. They just leave it on my doorstep <sighs> or they just leave it somewhere and tell me it's there and it's not there. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Because the porch pirates came to get it. Um, oh boy, have you talked more about Chat GPT this week at all? Oh, do you know we did. We we haven't talked a lot about it, but I know it's fascinating people, and you know I'm glad you brought this up because I can imagine you are loving this. Well, you know, I I actually I kind of like forgot about it for a couple of days, and then I saw this post on uh, I think it was a post on Facebook that said, uh, "Here's what it said." Okay, it says the future is wild. We taught we taught Chat GPT how to create a massively multiplayer online game. <laughs> Wow! It uses Beamble <laughs> Live Services and Unreal Engine blueprints. Imagine without ever touching a server or writing a line of backend code or knowing how to program a graphics system, you bootstrap a virtual world environment with per- persistence, user accounts, etc. Um, still a proof of concept, but it actually programmed the whole game with just commands saying, wow. "Do this." <laughs> I mean, but this is the thing about this whole OpenAI project: is it really is the imagination that can set it free, right? I mean, it's because I, I'm basically just asking it to do things like, yeah, tell me about blindness, and then it writes me you know, a whole screen about it. But there's so much more interesting stuff this can do. I think the problem for me is I'm not a coder on any level, so I don't even understand what I would do with the code once it turns up. But I guess that's where, you know, this could be really useful because, it, you know, really, I guess if the code is written for you, for whatever you want it to do, then really it's just a case of learning how to apply it, which is probably a lot easier than writing it. Well, I was, I was thinking about this because, you know, you, you we talked last week about you installing Philips Hue. And I remembered I had a motion sensor, a Philips Hue motion sensor. And I remembered that in my Amazon Echo routines, I was able to program some stuff with it. So what I've done now, okay, this week is I've actually put the motion sensor in the doorway to my office. So the second I pass through the doorway to my office for the first time, between 7.50 a.m. and 10 a.m., okay? These are important details. Mm. So for the first time I pass through it, it turns on 
my office lights. It turns on my desk light and my echo welcomes me. It says, good morning, Mark. Today is the date and it tells me the forecast and it tells me what's upcoming on my calendar. Okay. Wow. Without me, I literally, I walk into my room with my coffee. I don't even sit down. All of this stuff happens by itself. And I, and I had to program this routine fairly manually. I go into the echo app and the Amazon app Mm. and I, I program the routine and I was thinking to myself, this is a perfect use case, right? For this chat GPT thing. If I could just say, you know, set up, set up my motion detector, set up my office so that when it detects motion between this hour and this hour, it does this, 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 and this, and it just does it, you know? And I imagine I can then just go say, you know what? Only do that once in the morning. If I walk through the office again, don't repeat that command. And then it should be able to know how to do that. And, and imagine the time it would save in building these routines that require not coding, but detailed planning and detailed organization because we're basically running code, right? That's what we're yeah. doing. We're coding graphically. I'm saying if it, if motion detector, if device detects motion, do this. And in this sequence, we're coding, we're coding with that. We're coding visually, right? That's what we're doing. So if I could program my chat robot to do something similar, that'd be really cool. I mean, it's, it's considering what this, you know, was kind of laid out to do, which was really just to, this project is all set out just to learn how we interact with it. You know, actually what it's done is it's unearthed the power of this. And, you know, this is just day one. I mean, we're very early in the, the, I mean, okay, I know a lot of work's been done in the past on this. This has been ongoing. It's not the only project to do this kind of work. I mean, you could argue that the Amazon Echo is one of the early examples of this. But, you know, what we're seeing here really is a glimpse of the future. You know, it's funny because I remember when Google launched or Google came around the first time, we kind of realized that we didn't have to remember anything anymore because we could just ask the internet and it would tell us. Now, with this, we don't actually have to do anything anymore because this will just do it for us. And I think it's going to be quite interesting, especially for, it's going to level the playing field, but I think it's also going to upset a lot of people because if you think about all the coders that could end up out of a a job, um, I mean, okay, not entirely because of course, you know, it's not going to be able to do everything. People need to code it. Right. Well, it exactly. needs to teach it. Right. Yes. You're going to teach it certain things like, OK, this is how you interact. This is the API for the Amazon Echo. And this is all the things you can do so that then you can go ahead and do it. But I, fi- I just find it fascinating. I think it's it's super exciting. and I can't wait. I just can't wait to continue to use it and come up with ideas and see how it evolves. But I got to tell you something. I'm mm-hmm. going to stop your train of thought here. OK, um, we've been working on some shows for next year. TV yes. shows. Believe it or not, we actually do. We've plan. got some really, really fun shows lined up and i kind of want to mention them because if you haven't checked out the tv show you should do that because whether you watch it or you listen to it you know you can check it out on the ami tv app we're going to be talking to dan ackerman from cnet he's going to be joining us in the new year really cool guy yeah lots of i mean he, he's been i mean he's been writing tech longer than i've been alive i think uh but no he's a really cool guy um we're going hands-on with the pixel 7 line and the pixel watch you're going to walk us through some really cool features and how to turn them on, which is really neat. Um, Lutron, a whole show about and Lutron. Sorry, just to say on that, you know, the, the actual walkthrough we're going to be doing is, is good because I think a lot of people talk about the accessibility features, but they don't really know how to use them, yeah. how to access them, and, you know, what the actual power of those are. You know, and it's not, like I was, there was one in particular I was we were talking about with large text and I often bring this up as an example of something that really is an accessibility feature. Of course it is, but really it's for anybody. I mean, anybody could be sitting struggling to see the the text on their device. I mean, to me, as far as I'm concerned, I think the text size is up there with brightness level. Oh, yeah. You know, in totally. the sense, if you, if you were outside your house and it's the sun is, is bright and you can't see the screen... You're going to have to increase the brightness on your screen, right, in order to see it. This is there's no different to being able to see with larger text. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely insane, and it's funny that you mentioned that because um, just a couple of days ago we released the December edition of Sean of the Shed, and Sean goes hands on with smart speakers. Obviously, he's he's focusing on the Amazon Echo, but he's talking all about smart speakers and the use case more than just you know visual you know blindness and and stuff like that it just talks about other disability and other use cases but he it just he does such an incredible job at breaking it down and he talks about the top 5 things you can do with a smart speaker an episode not to miss if you have missed it yeah and you might even see a cameo from um <clears throat> someone else i'm just saying 
But you have Just to watch the episode. I, I don't know. So so we got, we got so Pixel Seven, uh, Pixel Watch, Lutron. We're going to be talking to uh, their their head of everything Lutron and talk all about their accessible home, <laughs> which is really title. cool. Great title, head of everything Lutron. I want that it's, badge. It, it's, it's called Mark doesn't remember her title. Um, <laughs> our CES 2023 special. We're lining up some really cool people who are going to be at CES. Plus, of course, we're going to be talking about a lot of cool you know, tech coming out of there. BMW is doing the keynotes. So we're hoping to get somebody on from BMW to talk about mobility. Great accessibility um, We're going to be talking well. uh, TCL, all about TV trends and where that's going. We're going to be talking to Biped, their company making a vest that they try uh, or helps you with orientation. A really, really cool company. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Acer is going to be joining us. Lots of really cool companies. And, and the CES conversation really... Yeah, we're doing a one-hour special, but that really goes on for the months, months and months ahead. Of course it does, and we're talking about it here on the show as well. I think, you know what I was thinking, right, that we come back on air officially. I mean, we're on air right through because we're actually we're taking the show right through the holiday period. You know, while, you know, these other guys like, you know, Kelly and Dave and Ramia, they're all taking the time off. They're, you know, they're taking what I believe they call a holiday. Uh, you know, we're working. We're staying here. We're keeping the lights on at AMI. You're just bored. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, we thought we could come on. And we're going to be doing our seven days of 2022 right through the, the whole holiday period. But we're back here officially. Our first show back is on the 3rd, which is the Tuesday, 3rd of January. And I'm thinking if you're up for it, you should come on and join me. We should do a CES special here on Double Tap on the podcast. Just talk about what we've been seeing so far, what we've been talking about, what's coming up on our TV show. You should come on and do yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Why not? Just, you know, as, what I'm doing here is... I'm going to remember this invite when you say, oh, Mark, we just uh, recorded the show this morning. <laughs> yeah, but like, I thought I was joining you on that. Nah, never mind. Um, but no, no, we should we should definitely do that in the new year. Uh, now, listen, coming up a bit later, we're going to go to an interview that you did. We'll do this in the second segment, but uh, just maybe whet people's appetite about what we're going to be talking about, or you're going to be talking about today. Oh, I'm going to be talking about Microsoft. Microsoft's all, except Microsoft announced a brand new... Tech accelerator for nonprofits and nonprofits that work specifically in the disability space. Um, so, you know, a tech accelerator traditionally is a bunch of companies getting together and kind of sharing resources. What what Microsoft is doing is Microsoft is actually granting companies not only money, but also access to their resources. Some of the incredible Microsoft tools that only big enterprises have access to, like because they cost money. Right. So they've created this program that's going to be open to uh, eight companies that they're going to be choosing over the course of the next couple of months. It's called the Nonprofit Tech Accelerator. We're going to be talking to their program manager, a person by the name of Sunday Parker, um, who has a, a personal story to tell um, as to why why she got into it. And of course, talking about the accelerator itself, how it's going to help people and how and the reason why they're doing this globally to start. This is a pilot program. You think pilot, you think, OK, let's do this in like North America. Let's do this just in the US. No, no, they're doing a global pilot program because there are so many different there's a billion people with disabilities in the world, and and to restrict it to just one geolocation is just ridiculous because it's such a small pool. So they're opening up to the world, and we're going to be talking all about that and learning more about it. So that's coming up a bit later, but you know it wouldn't be uh, double tap if we didn't mention Apple, and uh, that's why I thought we'd bring up this story today. Now, there's actually two Apple stories I want to focus on this week because uh, we we didn't get much of a chance to talk about it on the on the show during the week, but I thought you'd be uh, up for talking about these. I love, I love guys. This is how the show works. Okay, guys, you, you, you at home, Steven says, let's talk about <laughs> Apple. As he says that, he texts me the story that we're going to be talking about. I thought No you. pre-preparation, nothing like, oh, oh Mark, no, no, let's no, talk no, no, about this. On. He's hoping to hell that I'm keeping up with my tech world and I know what we're going to talk about. He just sends me a link just in case. Exactly. Well, I know you know this stuff, but you know, I like to I like to help you. I like to help you along. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can read the article along with me. But look, the big story of the week from Apple, I mean, there's two stories. One is iOS 16.2. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think the bigger one uh, that's, I don't know if this is more concerning or not, because I don't really understand what this will mean in reality. But as a result of rulings by the European Union, it seems that Apple are going to have to open up iOS to competing app stores. Yeah, I don't really is, understand what this means. Does that mean we're going to get the Google Play Store on an iPhone? You could potentially have the Google Play Store on the iPhone, but you will most likely have a lot of 
these third party kind of jailbreak type apps that aren't necessarily 100 percent Apple approved that used to only Mm. be available if you did jailbreak your phone. And jailbreak basically means that you release the Apple shackles from your phone and allow other apps and things to go in there and actually it really does. It, it, it's kind of scary because it allows them to manipulate elements of the operating system. Things like imagine before Apple made the made this possible, but you know, home screen widgets and icons and access to wallpapers. I, I think we've been going down the route of getting to this point with Apple mm. because the writing has been on the wall with the European Union. This isn't the first time that they've you know kind of flexed their muscle and said, "Hey." We're going to force you to do things. We, you know, we've heard the conversation about the fact that they're going to be making versions of the iPhone with the USB-C connector, which is something that Apple was eventually going to do, I'm sure. But, of course, is being forced into it because of laws in different places. And I think we're going to see that happen sooner than later. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're working on ways to open up certain APIs and certain elements of the iPhone to third-party app stores and third-party apps that aren't necessarily Apple-approved because they find that, and at least the European Union found, that there's a lot of competition out there that is not getting an opportunity to code for that platform because of Apple's quote-unquote closed ecosystem. Mm. So I think that Apple's going to do this in a way that they interpret it, which is a good thing in terms of security. Um, but we really don't know what it means. We don't know exactly what app stores out there, who's going to invest and, and what they're going to do. So they're saying that this might appear in iOS 17 next year. Uh, the companies themselves have until 2024 to comply with this new Digital Markets Act from the European Union. Uh, and that means that this could only apply in Europe at first. Now, the good news is I live in Britain and we got rid of Europe as far as we're concerned. So we don't know. We don't have to deal with it. Yay. Um, or <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, still don't believe it. Are we in Europe yet? I, I'll need to check with the lawyers on that one because I honestly have got no idea. But um, yeah, this is. Uh, so how does this work with Google then? Do they Are they more open in that regard? So therefore they wouldn't have to comply with this? They're, yeah, they're already more open. There are third-party app stores. There's ways to sideload apps onto Android phones without any issue whatsoever. They just allow it because they consider Android somewhat open source, um, which is why other manufacturers use Android because they have very low license fees and they can do what they want with it. So that's already there. One of, course, one, one of the things they're saying, Mark Gurman's reporting, hmm. uh, that we're going to see – we might see support for things like RCS integration and iMessage, which is, uh, which is not – available now but there's been a big push about that um uh, we're going to see things like tile being able to use the find my network um people being able to use the nfc chip a little bit more in terms of maybe using it for for card access and stuff like that again things that weren't available about a year ago but apple's been slowly letting it anyway so i think they've been kind of opening it up as much as they can within the boundaries of what they they deem secure and not secure but this change is a pretty significant one, and I don't, you know, even if it comes out in iOS 17 or 16, where are we on now? 17, yeah, 16. Um, now, yeah, I don't, I don't think they would just restrict it to to Europe. I think it would just it would they, it, it's easier for them to manage it if it's just cross cross the board. That being said, who knows? Do you every time you go to a website, do you have to accept cookies? Do you get that banner that pops up and says accept cookies? Uh, yes, and that's that's a that's a global law at this point. This is every single mm. friggin' jurisdiction is basically saying you now have to warn people about these cookies that you, listen, they were always there. You just didn't have to manually allow them every single time. Can now here's a question. Can OpenAI create a script so that every time it sees an allow cookies button, it just presses it for me? Because sure. that would be the best creation of software on the planet that or you know the one of the problems with with this cookie situation is here in montreal everything's bilingual right so i go to a website and based on your ip address it gives you english french whatever um and it always defaults to french and because of all this cookie stuff i'm manually changing the language every single time the whole (sighs) point of the cookies is so it remembers your selections when you come back it's just in the language that you want even if you allow it and the first time, it just doesn't remember this stuff anymore. And it's so infuriating. That is, I mean, yeah, you've accepted the cookies, which then should, in theory, remember. The whole point of the cookie is it remembers things. Yeah. And then it doesn't remember them. 
That's yeah. just nonsense. Yeah, it's good times. Good times. What it does, so it just says, accept or decline. It says it just like that. Is that right? Basically, yeah. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah. And I, honestly, I've never hit decline. I don't know what happens if I decline. I don't think anything changes. Nothing changes. No. I mean, I've only been on one website where I hit decline and it actually kicked me out the website. So Was that happened. one of those sites you shouldn't have been on in the first place? Well, let's just not go there. Uh, iOS 16.2 is yeah. out. Woo, yay. Apple Music Sing. Ugh, really? I mean, who cares about this stuff? You don't like karaoke? I can't, I can't stand karaoke. I will never thank whoever developed that. That was the worst idea in the world. I mean, look, songs I don't like sung by people who can't sing. What a, wow, what an incredible combination that is. Yeah, well, you know I'm a what? Lot of fun at Whatever. <laughs> There's some cool features, though. Cool features I didn't even know about, quite honestly. There was one um, called Control Nearby Devices. Have you heard about this one? No. Okay, so with iOS 16, you can control nearby devices that are signed into the same iCloud account. You go to Settings, Accessibility, Control Nearby Devices, and then you tap Control Nearby Devices button, and it starts a search, and it'll list you all the devices on the next screen, and you just tap one, and you, for example, you can control um, your iPad with your iPhone. You can open the Home button, uh, go to the App Switcher, Notification Center, Control Center, uh, Siri. When you're playing audio or video on the device, you can also play and pause it. Um, pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, uh, d- uh, door detection uh, in magnifier. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what else? Actually, um, de- detection. So if you go into the the settings mode now, they have detection mode. So you can go into detection mode, and that will bring up. Actually, it goes into the magnifier. It's like another way in. But instead of actually bringing up just the magnifier, it brings up all the options for people detection and uh, door detection as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, even image descriptions you can turn on or off. And, and image descriptions is great because what you can do is you can hold up your phone and under image descriptions, I can just hold my phone up. It's in this camera view. And as the camera, the back camera is looking out, it's actually reading out what it sees. Yeah, what the sees are, yeah. So, you know, and actually that happens in the camera app as well. It will do that in the camera app if you've got voiceover turned on. But uh, you don't have to have, this is, I think, the idea, the, the way they've developed this is so that you don't have to have voiceover running to get the benefit of the feature. It's kind of separated out. But I like the fact they've broken it out of just magnifier because actually the funny thing was a lot of blind people who would use door detection would never use magnifier because you wouldn't have a reason to use magnifier yeah. if you're totally blind. So it was like in a strange place to put it. Um I kind of just wish they made an app out of it. I mean, I don't really understand why they had to hide it because you have to go in, you've got to yeah. enable the option. It's a bit weird how they've, they've done it, but maybe it'll break out into an app at some point. But again, good is there. You know, it's another There's also uh, shortcuts in magnifier. They're calling it activities. Okay. Yeah, so let's save your current magnifier configuration. So if you've got things like camera brightness, contrast filters, mm. for something that you use more often, you can actually save the layout as an activity, they call it. So you just hit the, uh, you hit the settings cog and you can switch between layouts with the cog too. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I've never really used that. I know voiceover has activities as well. You know, the, the, the idea is that if you're on a certain website, you might want a certain voice or a certain style of reading or a certain type of control um, because you, there's sometimes with voiceover you have to change the way you work. You know, maybe you need to turn quick nav on or off. Well, you know, you can have that set so that when you go to that website, it will remember that. It won't, however, in your case, remember what language you want it to read in, but, no, you know, of course. it'll do everything else. Live captions for audio, videos, and calls. That's pretty cool. You can turn that on. You can even customize the text size of the captions, which is pretty cool. Um, Apple Watch mirroring. Did you hear about this one? Yeah, that's a great feature. For someone who has got physical uh, difficulties to use an Apple Watch, someone who, say, you know, has muscular dystrophy, for example, um, then you might not be able to physically manage to use a watch or an Apple Watch very easily. Um, This allows you to have the Apple Watch in front of you on your device, on your phone, and you're able to control it. Um, it's actually pretty remarkable. I, I can't. I can only see the the connection for someone who's blind. I can see why you might, if you had something like the challenges of using. Because I I have an issue with this. I have real issues with this essential tremor. Double tapping or triple tapping, even clicking the the home button. You know, so when you're doing the Apple Pay, you've got to double click the the side button. I find that really difficult. And you know, you can obviously can you can customize some of that. You can change the way you do it. Um, for example, you can change the amount of time between presses um, just to make it a little bit easier. There's things you can do. There's customizations. But, you know, having the ability on the Apple Watch, if you're, if you're struggling with that, you want to have an Apple Watch because, you know, you want all the fitness capability, you want the health tracking, you want all the features, but you maybe struggle with the screen. Apple Watch mirroring is great. 
Um, Siri pause time. Do you hear about this one? This is interesting. It's an accessibility yes. setting, of course, but I mean, this is could be used across the board. If your if your Siri responds too quickly or doesn't wait long enough for you to talk, you can actually extend the time that it waits for you to talk. I mean, the options are not great. That's basically longer or longest. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's a good tool there as well. But if you've uh, got customs- cognitive problems, if you've got you know struggle with you know having getting words out and you know saying the sentence in a in a timely fashion, I find. The echo is bad at this as well. You'll sometimes have, you know, halfway through a sentence and it just cuts you off. And you think, I haven't even finished what I was saying yet. Um, so you almost try to rush what you're wanting to say. I, I often yeah. feel in my mind, the way I operate is I have to kind of almost take a run at it in my head first. What is it I want to say to this thing? And then go for it. Yeah. Uh, and then hope it, <laughs> hope it catches up. Um, sound recognition, I mean, it's been available for a while, but now you can actually train your phone to recognize specific sounds mm. and name them. So you could say something like, uh, I don't know, if, if your alarm clock rings a certain way, your doorbell rings a certain way, it can detect that. And it could also say, okay, this is what it sounds like. And it listens for the sound and then you can actually name it. So you can have like car horn, doorbell, um, dog barking, whatever it is. Pretty cool. Well, I mean, a good example of that, a great use case for a friend of mine who's not, you know, disabled at all, but actually finds this really useful, is because he has a, he lives in a flat, uh, in an apartment, and the problem is that he can't get the ring doorbell. He would love to have the ring doorbell, but he can't get it because in the apartment block they won't. He's not able to get that option, uh, and it has like an, in, an intercom in the the building that you know doesn't you know i know there's ring intercom now but it doesn't work with that either so he can't swap out for that so he says what he's done is he's trained his phone to recognize the sound of the intercom so that no matter where he is he gets that notification now telling him that the intercom in case he misses it which you know that's just that's brilliant again it's one of those things that's born out of accessibility but it's useful to all and here's another one do you ever hang up on facetime calls or phone calls by hitting the side button by mistake um I'd like to. <laughs> in settings under accessibility and touch, there's a new switch for prevent lock to end call. Mm. You just toggle it on and it'll stop you from hanging up prematurely whenever your iPhone screen locks. I have to turn this on on my mother-in-law's phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was one of the great things about Android. You know, that's one thing you could do with it. You could have the, the power or the, the call button, end call button, essentially used, uh, you know, as a power button. You could use it as that. And that was actually an option. And a lot of people like that because, you know, fiddling around trying to find the, the end call button. You know, I, I will say this because I think it's one of those features that you kind of, I, we should almost do a series on Double Tap about features that everybody thinks you know. Because honestly, there's so many that I tell people over, over the, time. Listen, this list I'm looking at is probably like 26 different features. They call them all accessibility features, but they're not. I mean, like, I mean, if, sure, they, I mean, they can call them whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, auto answer calls switching with Hey Siri. So you could actually you could actually turn on the auto answer calls option um, with your voice. So, uh, but you have to manually turn it on. So, yes, hey, you do. Hey, oh, stop talking, Siri. Listening to you. Hey Siri, stop. <laughs> God, I have a HomePod I never use, and suddenly it's dies. It's just come here. You go to accessibility, touch, call audio routing, auto answer calls, and now you could say, "Hey, mm-mm, turn on auto answer or turn off auto answer," and you know, available also for Watch OS nine. Again, a great option if you don't want to have to, you know, don't want to use your fingers. Yeah, absolutely. But that, that, that one I mentioned earlier. So if you want to answer around a call with your iPhone, uh, believe it or not, it's the simplest and most difficult, I think, for a lot of blind people thing to do. It, it's the, it, in some ways, it's the most basic thing, right? Answering a call, ending a call. Two fingers, double tap on the screen. That will answer. Two fingers, double tap, will end a call. If you've got voiceover turned on, I should say that. If you've got voiceover turned on, that double tap action is what will enable, it's called a magic tap, and it can apply to a lot of things. And essentially what that is, is a play-pause control. That's kind of what it is, because when you're not in a call and you double-tap on the screen with two fingers, it will start playing music, and it will also pause playing music. So when a call comes in, it actions in the same way, like a stop-start. So you can actually double-tap the screen, that will answer the call, and it means you don't have to try and move your finger around the screen to find the the answer button. Because that's, that's the thing, you're kind of scrolling around. Trying Do you to have to enable that, or is that just a, a by Just default? ready to go, every right out of the box. As soon as voiceover's on, that is is an enabled feature. So, I mean, and, and it's one of those but ones. That's the thing, as, as if voiceover is on. If voiceover is on, yeah, but a lot of people yeah. wouldn't even know that. I mean, I've told people this even recently, and they go, wow. Yeah, but I would use thing? that now without voiceover. Like, I would. that's a feature I would use. 
Exactly. So, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Let's make Double Tap available to everybody. Well, except this show, because, you know, well, well, whatever. Do we still get paid? I don't care. Right, listen, stick around. We'll have more. <laughs> I've got more. <laughs> I know. Well, you've got more, and we're going to be talking about Microsoft as well. Lots to come here on Double Tap. Stay right there. Can't get enough Double Tap? Subscribe to the podcast and get your fill of Double Tap every day. Visit DoubleTapOnAir.com and follow us now. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. You're listening to Double Tap, Stephen and Mark with you today. And uh, you've been through a list there of all the iOS 16.2 features. I mean, look, I- I've got to ask you about Apple these Music are just, By the way, these are just accessibility I know, features. But, but I, I want to get back to those, but, you know, I am interested in this Sing thing. Sing thing. Um, be- because uh, You want to demo this? <laughs> no. Um, but what, I, what I'm intrigued by I don't have to is, sing. I can just demo you know, without Well, a here's the thing, right? I mean, obviously it brings up the lyrics. And I know that there's a few people said to me already, well, who, why do I care about this? But there are a couple of valuable points in here. One is that if you're a voiceover user, it will read all the, the text out. But of course, how useful that is when you're trying to sing a song, I don't know. But there is a great feature that a lot of people may not be aware of. Again, it's sometimes the assumption that people know about these things. Obviously, Apple Music Sing is kind of built to work on Apple TV, although you do have to have the latest Apple TV. Yeah. Um, But there's a brilliant accessibility feature called Hover Text. Now, you can enlarge the text to a pretty large size on the Apple TV anyway, but on that particular feature of Apple Music Sing, Hover Text is where you want, because what it will do is, as the text appears, it will enlarge that text. Now, Hover Text is a feature that's available to anybody, you don't have to, it's not for voiceover users. I mean, you can use it with voiceover, but it's not necessary, I guess. But basically, you know, let's say, for example, and I'll give you a great example for it. Let's say you have a phone number on your screen that you are trying to read. Maybe you're trying to copy it down, right? And you're just struggling to read it because it's just a little bit too small. With hover text, you're able just to hover over it, hold down on the text, and it will make it huge. Uh, it'll take it to mm, the size smart. of the screen. So it'll bring just that bit of text up on screen full size that's and smart. it will make it so much easier quite a great feature yeah that's really good i I'm, i have a song here i think that i think you'll like anyway but um is it celine dion no it's not don't good. get me sad because she's not well no i know so here, here's the cool thing okay so the lyrics are on the screen and there's a little microphone button and when you press that microphone button it brings up like a volume control and it lets you lower the lyrics so this is without it lowered obviously Okay. okay, so now let's lower the lower the volume of the music of the lyrics, and it it does magic. That's amazing. That is <laughs> pretty good. Now that's not on every song, right? You better stop that. Well, no, so this, I picked one specifically from a playlist that it has, like it has a playlist of songs that it, it chooses. Yeah. But like, I mean, I could pick any song in my library. Like literally, I'll pick. Okay, okay. This is a, probably the worst example I could possibly do. Okay, I'm going to pick a Metallica song, <laughs> one of their latest songs, and see if I can do it. Yeah. So I've, I've. Um, let's fast forward to a point where there's lyrics. Are these clean lyrics? And let's let's lower it. And see what happens. It works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> It works really well. It's you know, it's basically it's using some kind of EQ algorithm that helps uh, get rid of those frequencies. Uh, but that actually worked pretty well. <laughs> that is amazing. It really is. And so, how does it work? Because I'm guessing, obviously, people want to sing. And I'm thinking about the Apple TV here. Can you use your iPhone as a microphone with this? Or you know, I'm thinking, is it like a because there's a different um, systems you can get now. There's one over here called Roxy. I don't know if you get that. I but, don't. Um, you know, here's the thing. I don't think it's meant for you to really. Like when you're it's doing karaoke, karaoke if you're, you don't need a karaoke system. You're just singing. It's about embarrassing yourself, really. Yeah. Like you could hold a microphone that's not on and it, it gives you mind. still the same impression. So I don't think it matters if you have a microphone or not. I don't know if there's any accessories that are specifically built for this. I think it's just it gets rid of the lyrics so you can just sing along with it. So I could just hold my, you know, Shure SM58 and just pretend it's connected Steven, to something. Steven, you could hold um, a hairbrush and pretend and you'll be fine. <laughs> No, but I want to use a, a prop- spatula. I think it would be a, a little bit uh, wrong for me not to, considering how many microphones I own in this house, I should probably at least use one of them, even if it's not connected to anything. Yeah, well, you know, go for pretend. it. You know, if that's if that's what floats your boat, then, uh, you know, I guess you can go ahead and do that. But that I thought that's what they would do. I thought they would use the, the <laughs> I mean, surely with the, the capability 
of noise cancellation inside the iPhone. You could use that as a microphone. Yeah. I'm sure that's been a thing before. We'll have to put that to the test. You know, this is this is what the holidays are for, for embarrassing yourself in front of family. It's great. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of the thing about this this whole feature, right, is that it's kind of about that. It's about, you know, just having a bit of fun and, you know, like, yeah. you know, and it's important to say, um, and, you know, other people, I believe, do have fun. I've heard about it. It doesn't really what? feel to me. Um, but, you know, if you want to do that, that's up to you. Do you do karaoke? You okay? I can't imagine no, you doing karaoke. No, my, my, my kids love it. I mean, his kids love it because it's just so embarrassing. Um, I enjoy watching it. Uh, I'm not one to embarrass myself uh, voluntarily. <laughs> I get the imp- yeah. I get the impression you're the type who you're a bit like me. You you like to you get all the tech sorted and then you just sit out of the way while they all carry on. back it. and watch. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's pretty much what I do. That's the way to do it. Uh, right, look, let's move on because we want to talk about Microsoft and oh, their seller. Yeah, no, honestly, there's, I know there's so many accessibility features and great things, and we'll get into all of those, of course. You know, I'll post this on social media. Yeah, so post it on social media. Uh, okay. At Double Tap On Air is where you'll find us across social media. We're on Twitter. Hang on, I'm just checking. Yes, it's still alive. Twitter's still yeah, okay. going. It's okay, we can still post on it. Um uh, we'll just have to, you know, fight off the trolls a little bit more. But that's okay. That's all right. That's just, just life in general. Um, but let's move on because we are going to talk about Microsoft. And you interviewed Microsoft this week, right? I, uh, yeah, this week. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was. So it was, you know, they, they announced this new tech accelerator. And uh, I wanted to find out more about it, find out who it was for, why, how it came to be, um, and how people can get involved. And this is how it unfolded. Sunday Parker is the Access Technology Program Manager at Microsoft, based in Austin, Texas. Sunday, thank you for joining us here. How are you? Thank you. Doing well. How are you? I, I'm doing amazing. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because um, we're here today to talk about a new accessibility nonprofit tech accelerator that Microsoft launched a couple of weeks ago, or depending when they hear this. Um, and I, I, we really want to learn more about it. But before I do that, I want to give people some context about you, because um, being the program manager, obviously, people are curious about where, where you came from. And I know, um, based on my, my limited research, that obviously you have a personal story that brought you into accessibility, um, but you've also advocated and worked in accessibility for a very long time. So what is it? Can you talk a little bit about your story and what brought you to this field in the first place? Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, you know, this is truly a a full circle kind of moment for me, uh, specifically as it relates to this program. Um, I was born with a a complex uh, physical disability and I have been in a wheelchair since the age of seven. Um, I grew up in a very small rural town with not a lot of resources. And so nonprofits really were essential to um, what brings me here today. And, uh, you know, uh, representing Microsoft, being in the field of accessibility, all of that would never have been possible um, without um, the support of nonprofits throughout growing up. And so I started my accessibility journey uh, advocating, uh, working alongside nonprofits as a, a goodwill ambassador for a nonprofit organization that supported me as a child. Uh, I then had the incredible opportunity to get into accessibility uh, within uh, the field of tech. I started working in uh, customer service. And uh, through there, I worked with our disability ERG at my previous company, and then um, eventually branched into product accessibility. Uh, and now uh, the program that uh, you have me here today, which is leading our access technology program at Microsoft. So really, this is, uh, you know, a, a moment that brings together everything that I have uh, worked on uh, within my personal life as well as professional over the last five years. That's amazing, especially when there's a personal connection there that really helps kind of see that picture. So when we say the words nonprofit tech accelerator, How would you describe a tech accelerator? How would you kind of bring it down to kind of layman terms? So this program was really created to better support nonprofit organizations where they are and specifically geared towards nonprofits that serve people with disabilities. And so there are some considerations such as accessibility um, that come into play with that. And by providing access to technology and grants, um, we hope to be able to better serve their unique missions and be able to meet the needs of people with disabilities. And so through 
partnering with a diverse disability uh, set of organizations, um, we are really uniquely positioned at Microsoft to be able to provide the staffing and the resources as well as the grant funding to be able to um, support these missions through um, tech acceleration and to be able to increase the digital maturity of these organizations. I, th- I think you're understating it a little bit when you talk about some of the the resources that Microsoft as a company brings to the table for, for any organization. So the fact that you can, you know, give these tools to some of these nonprofits, especially in the accessibility space, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal that sometimes only giant enterprises with multi-billion dollar portfolios have access to. How does how do those tools make a difference in the in the mission of those companies? Yeah, so we, uh, in addition to the grant program that we have launching at the beginning of this year, we've also released a new nonprofit resource hub, and this was curated specifically for our disability community, and that includes training um, from our accessibility team. This can be digital uh, accessibility training, or it could be disability etiquette to learn about how to interact with people with disabilities. And in addition, um, a roundup of the programs and offerings that are available to nonprofits uh, for free um, discounted technology that they can take advantage of through our all-up uh, Microsoft Philanthropies efforts as well. So these are crucial resources that we know are, are much needed by organizations, both big and small, wherever they are on their their journey um, to support people with disabilities and to incorporate accessibility and to be able to uh, enhance their mission um, with these these vital tech tools. What are what are some of the companies that you expect, or some of the the fields uh, of some of these companies that you expect, or actually have seen, um, shown interest in getting involved? I have been really excited to see the diverse set of organizations that are um, interested in, in taking part, and we are looking to uh, partner with organizations, both big and small, um, that are serving the disability community in in their own unique way. So looking at things like intersectionality as part of the um, grant program and um, to be able to serve uh, uh, across the spectrum of disability. We know that there are um, uh, groups within disability. There is its spectrum, right? And so um, being able to uh, partner with organizations that are diverse and uh, in location and demographic and, and what their missions are. You know, you talk, you, you specifically say location demographic. This is a, this program is open worldwide. And that's something that uh, I think only a company like Microsoft can accomplish because of the resources and the footprint globally. Like, I mean, I'm talking about everywhere in the world. Um, why, why cast such a big net at the start? as opposed to say, hey, let's work in North America and then let's grow things. Is there a reason behind that or is it just let's let's take on everybody? Well, there are one billion people around the world that have disabilities and uh, the the challenges uh, geographically are different. And so by being able to incorporate a global set of nonprofit organizations, we can tackle the disability divide um, in, you know, we have to start somewhere, right? And so including a global set of disability organizations is able to really um, influence the program at an early time um, to be able to, uh, in the long term, support our disability communities, which are global, uh, and to be able to do that within the pilot phase. For example, uh, one of our... Um, organizations that were part of our pilot initiative with Seeability, which is an organization based out of out of the UK. So our partnerships currently are global. And so uh, it was definitely essential for us to start this program um, uh, to be able to cater to our global disability communities. You know, one of the things we've noticed over the years working with you guys at Microsoft is that um, the different departments within the company really do feed off each other. They learn from the other departments. And I think this global approach is actually super important for a program like this because, 
as you said, every every you know there are geographical challenges, right? So what might work for somebody in Canada isn't the same for somebody in Africa. You know, there are so many differences. I'm curious how. I mean, obviously, I know how you guys do it because you're such a connected organization. But do you find or do you foresee a lot of your different teams learning from each other here to see different ways that they've approached the same kind of challenges? Oh, certainly. And I think there, you know, there are overarching themes that cut across um, the disability community globally and across the company. Um, we this is a. a relates to a broader strategy from our Microsoft Philanthropies team. And so being able to educate on accessibility and the unique challenges that our community faces, we are stronger as an organization um, to be able to support our nonprofit communities. And some of the uh, feedback that we have gotten from our partners is that through the accessibility training of our uh, nonprofit tech accelerator program, we have actually been able to, uh, to skill accessibility that that will feed back into their programs um, all up, whether it be specifically geared towards uh, nonprofits that serve people with disabilities and inherently employ people with disabilities. And so accessibility obviously is a um, is essential as part of our program and really leading with that from the start. Uh, but this will trickle down to uh, the way that our um, tech for social impact team really supports nonprofits all up. You mentioned this is a pilot program. Um, is this something that you expect to hit the ground running and, 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 and you know, proliferate for the next decade or is this a, is this a short-term kind of goal what's the mission here well the uh, goal in the meantime is short term to be able to support as many disability nonprofits as we can within uh, the next um, calendar year but of course this is something we want to set up for the long term to be able to continue to support our uh, nonprofit community moving forward. You you keep uh, you've mentioned several times. Obviously, there's there's the grant money and there's also obviously the resources. Are you able to quantify the amount of money that's being put into this on the grant side? I know resource wise, I mean you can it, it's 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 hard to measure because there's so many people involved, right? And there's and there's human manpower which obviously has value. But are we able to to quantify the grant money element of it? So we are hoping to support this year eight uh, nonprofit organizations. Um, the grant funding element of this will vary based on the needs of the projects. You know, some organizations have uh, specific needs for getting access to their existing um uh, Microsoft products and services and how to better use them within their organization. And then there are organizations that have really strategic projects that align with their mission and that we can uh, build out over this year. And then also looking at the future of how we support the, the next phase of the journey. But the uh, quantity we hope to get back to as we're uh, reflecting and learning on the pilot uh, in the in the coming months. Well, it's a, it's a really exciting project. I mean, especially I know we we throw the word out pilot sometimes, but it's just it's 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 the start of something, right? And you hope that it grows. And as you as you mentioned, you know, people that you're going to be helping are also hopefully in turn going to be reinvesting in the program, whether it's you know human human manpower and stuff like that. How do people get more information? How do people apply? Is that closed now? How does that work? Yeah, great question. Uh, so we are having a. Um, a disability uh, nonprofit webinar um, in December. And so I'll share the information and the links on how to apply or visit the recording, depending on uh, when this gets published. Uh, and then we are looking to receive applications into um, early January. And I will link out to that information as well that you can share with the audience. I'm going to rephrase that question now because we're going to air, I'll air the audio portion sooner than later so that we can make sure people know about that because I know it's December 6th. So I'm going to ask you that question again, but more of how can people follow it so that when we air the TV one, which will probably be early January, people will be more interested in following the progress as opposed to getting involved. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we'll uh, share out a link for you to uh, follow along on the um Nonprofit Tech Accelerator page, as well as share our resources hub uh, to get more information on the program. 
amazing Sunday. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, I, I'm anxious to have you back on, obviously, in the new year to talk about how this is evolving. But maybe we can also uh, get some of the companies that are involved and see how they're you know, embracing it as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. So, Stephen, a couple of the URLs to check out for that one. Uh, the resources are um, uh, aka.ms slash forward slash accessibility nta or you can find the nonprofit resource hub at aka.ms slash nta resources if you check those out you can find that all about that tech accelerator which is pretty cool and thank you to sunday parker for coming on and tell us about uh personal story there yeah absolutely brilliant and listen before we go uh how are we getting on with the the double tap giveaway because i, I have oh my a god feeling, it's going nuts i have a feeling you have a garage that you're just emptying right now because it, you think so much stuff <laughs> you're adding monitor you, you've added a benq monitor on that i have to say sean is very jealous I'm sure he is. Uh, yeah, I added the BenQ monitor to it. Um, the, I'm sure I'm going to try to add some more stuff. They have until the 23rd to get in on this, and we'll ship everything out after the new year. Um, more stuff keeps coming in the door. So uh, as I as I go through stuff and say I want to keep this, or I want to send, I mean, give this away, or I mean, throw this out. I mean, give it. I mean, give it away. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll let you know, but it's going really well. So just go to double tap on air.com or sorry, ami.ca slash double tap. And you'll find the link right there. Really simple. Just to use, give me your name and just uh, sign up and uh, you're entered. That's easy. That uh, Vicky easy. gets in touch and asks, uh, can I apply? I'm in Scotland. Um, Everybody just apply. Just I'll apply. Ship it anywhere. Okay. There I'll we go. So we'll ship anywhere in the world. And Camille says, what I want for Christmas is not one of the gadgets that has been mentioned, but rather a Scottish language dictionary. It's really hard at times to understand what on earth Stephen is saying, especially what? when he's talking about non-technology, which happens from time to time. Oh, you should hear Stephen answer the door to someone who's native. Uh, is, uh, I have to and say by that, native, I mean native to Scotland. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that. I, I thought, you know, I, I, I say, listen, listen harder. That's the answer. Uh, also, he was looking for uh, an autographed water bottle. Uh, yes, I'll write it in Scottish. How about that, Camille? Yeah, you do that. Please do that. <laughs> write it in Gaelic. <laughs> oh, God. And then no one will understand what is going on. And when you open the top of the water bottle, you'll, all you'll hear is bagpipes. Well, it's, isn't it Scotch mist? Is that what I'm supposed to put in there? That's what we sell. Uh, Actually, people do sell this in, in Scotland. You can buy Scotch mist in a tin. Iron brew. Iron brew, haggis, fourth road bridge. Anything else? <laughs> Probably. Anyway, um, that's it for today. That's um, it? I think are we well actually you're coming back on you're going to join us on Friday uh, next week because that is our last show before we uh, take a bit of a break for Christmas I am we'll okay back, of course Good to know. <laughs> well we'll see well hopefully you'll be with us uh, on the Friday show and we'll uh, have a bit of a party and wind the show down for the year uh, before our seven days of 2022 kicks in on the 26th looking forward to that with Sean but uh, that's it for today thank you so much for listening thank you Mark and we'll be back again on Monday have a great weekend everyone bye love Double Tap did you know we're on the TV too check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI TV every Tuesday at 8pm Eastern or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap we're also on YouTube search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast Tripping On Air every month my co-host Alex Hajar and I Spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping on Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.